0: Isaiah 54, sing barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labour, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide, do not hold back. Lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit. A wife who married young, only to be rejected, says your God. For a brief moment I abandoned you, but with deep compassion I will bring you back. In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. To me, this is like the days of Noah, when I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth. So now I have sworn not to be angry with you, never to rebuke you again. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Afflicted city, lashed by storms and not comforted, I will rebuild you with stones of turquoise, your foundations with lapis lazuli, I will make your battlements of rubies, your gates of sparkling jewels and all your walls of precious stones. All your children will be taught by the Lord and great will be their peace. In righteousness you will be established. Tyranny will be far from you. You will have nothing to fear. Terror will be far removed. It will not come near you. If anyone does attack you, It will not be my doing. Whoever attacks you will surrender to you. See, it is I who created the blacksmith who fans the coals into flame and forges a weapon fit for its work. And it is I who have created the destroyer to wreak havoc. No weapon forged against you will prevail and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord." And this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord.
1: Well, friends, let me add my welcome to church this morning. My name's Des Smith. It's great to be able to gather again as we continue our series in Isaiah. As we come to this really encouraging passage, why don't we pray? Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank You that In what the Lord Jesus did for us on the cross and in His resurrection, He gave us peace. Father, many of us will feel like we have that, many of us here will feel like we don't have that. Father, we pray that we might find peace in our very cause because of what You've done for us in Jesus, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, peace is one of the richest words in the Bible. It's not just the absence of violence or conflict, as we often use it, oh, just give me some peace. No, peace in the Bible has a positive meaning. It's being in a proper, active relationship with God and creation. Peace in the Bible means total harmony, total completeness. So you know those days when it just feels like all is right with the world? All the various pieces of life just seem to be fitting together? Well, that's what the Bible means by peace. I had one of these moments recently on holidays. The house was clean, the kids were outside, and Joel was playing with Duplo on the carpet contentedly. Dinner was getting ready, Suze was out watering the garden, In her broad-brimmed hat. It was mid-afternoon and the garden was bathed with light and I had nothing to do that night but curl up in front of the TV. That's peace. I wonder what your moments of peace have been. Peace was the word that the Jewish priests used to bless people with, and peace is the word that Jews even now greet people with, wish for them. Shalom, they say, peace, I hope your life is fitting together. Now, of course, sadly, peace is something that our world lacks. And God's people in the Old Testament were exactly the same. Life was not fitting together as it should. It wasn't working. Now, God's explanation for this was because their relationship with Him was broken. Isaiah 48, verse 18, If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river, your well-being like the waves of the sea. And yet, verse 22, there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. But God has said that He will restore peace. He'll send the Messiah to bring peace. He'll be someone called the Prince of Peace. And that peace will one day spread to the ends of the earth, He promises. Again, Isaiah, this time from 26, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast, because they trust in you. Now, last week, God finally told us in Isaiah how He would restore that peace, through the suffering servant. Look again at those words from chapter 53, verse 5. He was pierced for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on Him. By dying for people's sin, the servant makes it possible for God and humans to be at peace again. The New Testament says the same thing, Romans 5, chapter, verse 1, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And if we have peace with God, then the rest of our life can start fitting together too. So now that Isaiah has told Israel and us how we can have peace with God, he wants to tell us how good it is to have peace with God. He wants to spend two chapters, Isaiah 54 and 55, luxuriating in how good that peace is. And how good does he say it is to have peace with God? He says, it's like a barren woman having children. It's like a cheating spouse being forgiven. And it's like a starving person being fed. In other words, it's pretty good. So let's get into it. How good is it to have peace with God? It's like a barren woman having children. Look there at chapter 54, verses 1 to 3. "'Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who are never in labour, because more of the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband,' says the Lord. "'Enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide, do not hold back. Lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities.'" He compares Israel here to a barren woman who's about to have a lot of kids. Now, we know that Isaiah is talking to Israel here, not an actual woman, because of the sheer number of children envisaged. The descendants of this woman will be enough to dispossess nations and settle whole cities. That's a lot of kids if you're talking about an actual woman. No, he's calling Israel a barren woman, and he's saying that they will have many descendants. Now, in what sense is Israel barren? Well, Israel's meant to be a nation of lots of people. God had promised Abraham that Israel's descendants, or that his descendants, would be as numerous as the stars in the sky, and Israel is those descendants. But the fact is, at the time that Isaiah is writing, they're not numerous. At the moment, they're anything but. For the people that Isaiah is writing to, they're a tiny, broken nation, living in exile. They haven't been able to produce anything like the number of descendants that that Abraham might have been able to expect from them. It's like they're barren. And that's a cause of great grief for them. Just as barrenness is always presented as painful in the Bible because children are a blessing, so the sheer smallness of Israel and their inability to grow is presented as painful too. Now, I know that Isaiah is only using barrenness as a metaphor here, but before we go on, let me pause for just a moment to speak to those of us who are or have suffered from literal barrenness or childlessness. I mean, that's why Isaiah is able to use this metaphor in the first place, isn't it? Because literal childlessness, if it's unwanted, is so painful. It might be that you're childless for any number of reasons. It might be that you are or were infertile as a couple. It might be that you're single. It might be that you had a child but they died and you feel great grief about that, whether you're a man or a woman. Can I say, I want to name and acknowledge that grief for you now. Children are a great gift from God and so when we can't have them, grief is the utterly appropriate response to that loss. You're not being ungrateful for all the good things that you do have. You're just responding to missing out on one of the blessings of life. You're grieving. And that's right. And though it won't make up for it, we want to grieve with you as you grieve. We want to cry when you cry. And though it's not the same, we want to be your family. When your own family seems incomplete. God tells Israel that they're barren because they don't have the descendants that they're meant to have and that is a cause of great grief. But God tells them to rejoice because just like He reversed Abraham and Sarah's infertility, He is going to reverse theirs. They're going to have lots of descendants. He tells them that they're going to have to enlarge their tents to fit them all in, verse 2. They're going to have so many descendants that they'll fill cities and dispossess nations, verse 3. He tells them that they're going to be a huge global nation, the one that they were always meant to be. And so, like a barren woman who's just been told that she's pregnant, they're to rejoice. Verse 1, sing, burst into song, shout for joy. God will keep His promise to grow them and give them many descendants. And all of that will be a sign that they're at peace with God. Look at verses 11 to 13. Afflicted city, lashed by storms and not comforted, I will rebuild you with stones of turquoise, your foundations with lapis lazuli. I will make your battlements of rubies, your gates of sparkling jewels, and all your walls of precious stones. All your children will be taught by the Lord, and great will be their peace." You see, Israel's purpose as a nation is to grow, to be a great nation and to bless the world. And now that they've been given peace with God, they've been given that purpose back, to start growing and spreading again. Having peace with God gives them a purpose and so it's a great cause of joy. And of course, as Christians, having peace with God gives us that same purpose too, to see the people of God grow and expand in number. We want to see many people from all nations come to know God. Each year, we want the worldwide church to have to enlarge its tent, spread its curtains, lengthen its cords, strengthen its stakes, because so many people are coming to Jesus. We want the same thing here at Trinity, don't we? We want the same thing here at Nine. Because now that we've found peace with God, that's our purpose, to offer other people that same peace. So join a mission team, come on the plant, out west, invite a friend to church. Because you've been given peace with God if you've got faith in Jesus and that's given you your purpose in life back. And that's a great joy, isn't it? None of us wants to lead an aimless life. We all want our life to count and this is how it can count, offering people who don't yet have peace with God the peace He has given us. How good is it to have peace with God? It's like a barren woman having children. But it's also, secondly, like a cheating spouse being forgiven. Look there at verses 4 to 8, Do not be afraid, you will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace, you will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your Maker is your husband, the Lord Almighty is His name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit, a wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. For a brief moment I abandoned you, but with deep compassion I will bring you back. In a surge of anger I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. You see, Isaiah has compared God and Israel to a husband and wife before, and now is no exception. He calls them there in verse 5, I'm your husband, your maker. But of course the problem is, when you look at Israel's history, is that as God's wife, so to speak, they've been unfaithful, they've worshipped idols. You see him describe that a little bit further on, in chapter 57 of Isaiah, this is starting at verse 6, the idols among the smooth stones of the ravines are your portion, you've made your bed on a high and lofty hill, there you went up to offer your sacrifices. Behind the doors, behind your doors and your doorposts, you've put your pagan symbols. Forsaking me, you uncovered your bed, you climbed into it and opened it wide. You made a pact with those whose beds you love, and you looked with lust on their naked bodies. Israel have cheated on God. And for Israel, God has had to be rejected. Or rather, Israel has to be rejected by God because of that. He's abandoned them, verse 7. In a surge of anger, He's hid His face from them, verse 8. And of course, in Israel's history, that meant being sent into exile. But God says that now that the servant has paid for their sins, and now that they have peace with Him because of it, He'll come back to them, like a husband comes back to his wife. Look at verse 7 and 8 again, for a brief moment I abandoned you, but with deep compassion I will bring you back. In a surge of anger I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. It's all forgiven. And so, they no longer have to be ashamed for what they've done, all their infidelity. Look at verse 4 again, do not be afraid, you will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace, you will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. It's a huge relief for them. And the best news of all is that the Lord, their husband, will never reject them again, now that He's given them peace. Look at verses 9 and 10 of 54. To me, this is like the days of Noah, when I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth. So now I have sworn not to be angry with you, never to rebuke you again. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. What's God done for them? He's come back to them and He's given them their life back. Preacher tells a story of seeing a picture of a husband and wife in a man's office. Nice picture, he says, and then notices that the man is starting to cry. Why are you crying, he asks. The man replies, there was a time in my marriage when I was unfaithful to my wife and she found out about it. She was so deeply hurt she was going to leave... And take the kids with her. I was overwhelmed at the mistake I'd made and I shut the affair down and I went to my wife in total brokenness. Knowing I didn't deserve it, I begged her for mercy and she forgave me. That picture there was taken very shortly after all of that happened. When I see that picture, I see the woman who forgave me. I see the woman who was willing to stand next to me in that picture. So when you see that picture, you say, nice picture. But when I see that picture, I see my life given back to me again. Well, friends, that's true of everyone who has peace with God through Jesus. See, we may look like nice people, people look at us and say, nice picture. But behind all of our story, there is a story of great unfaithfulness and great mercy. You see, we have all been unfaithful to God in our own way, haven't we? We've all tried to find ultimate meaning and satisfaction in things other than Him. And yet, if we've been forgiven through Jesus, God has forgiven us. He's taken us back. Cost Him everything, the life of His Son, But He did it anyway, because He loves us and He's given us our life back. And even better, He doesn't hold that forgiveness over us after He's given it to us. You know how sometimes people will forgive you, but you spend the rest of your life paying for it? Well, God's not like that. No, he says, now that you're at peace with me, you can forget all that, you don't have to let it hang over you. Look at verse 4 again, do not be afraid, you will not be put to shame, do not fear disgrace, you will not be humiliated, you will forget the shame of your youth. Now, he's not saying that we oughtn't to learn from our sins, he's just saying we shouldn't let them crush us. I mean, just think about that for a moment all the things that you regret doing, all the things you still feel ashamed over, God doesn't hold a single one of them over you, if you've been forgiven by Jesus. That's peace, isn't it? Isn't that something we all want? The peace of a genuinely clean conscience? Well, you can have it in Jesus. How good is it to have peace with God? It's like a barren woman having children. It's like a cheating spouse being forgiven. Peace with God gives us purpose and a clean conscience. But finally, Isaiah says, it gives us satisfaction. Because getting peace with God is like a starving person being fed. Look at chapter 55, verses 1 to 2. It's coming up on the screen. Maybe it's not. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money come by and eat come by wine and milk without money and without cost why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy listen listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare you see in isaiah israel is always presented as being hungry They're always looking for satisfaction in things, safety, power, pleasure, cash. So Isaiah 22, 13, see there is joy and revelry, slaughtering of cattle and killing of sheep, eating of meat and drinking of wine. Let us eat and drink, you say, for tomorrow we die. It's as if life is a feast and if only they can cram enough of it into their mouths, they'll be satisfied. But the problem is they're not. They eat, they consume the good things of life, but they're not satisfied. They keep trying to fill up, but they're always hungry. There's an awful and very rare condition called Prader-Willi syndrome. One of its symptoms is that you never feel full. No matter how much you eat, you're always hungry. Can you imagine that? no matter what you did, you'd always feel that gnawing in your belly? Wouldn't that be awful? What is it if Israel have prader Willie syndrome of the soul, always trying to fill up on what they think will satisfy them, but they never feel full? And of course, it's not just Israel who suffer from that. It's all people left to themselves. All humans are born with prader Willie syndrome. We never feel like we've got enough, we always need more, a better job, a hotter spouse, higher marks, a bigger house, a fuller bank to find peace. Pop legend, Madonna, whom I'm sure you've heard of, describes her own hunger, hers is for success, like this, she says this, she says, I have an iron will, and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being and then I get to another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting, again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre and it's always pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended and it probably never will, she has it all. But she still doesn't have peace. And, of course, we all know that, left unchecked, that kind of hunger can make us do terrible things to other people. We consume ourselves and others to feel full. Isaiah 9 verse 19, they will not spare one another. On the right, they will devour but still be hungry. On the left, they will eat but not be satisfied. Each will feed on the flesh of their own offspring. Manasseh will feed on Ephraim, and Ephraim on Manasseh. But God says, you don't need to now. Now you've been forgiven. I'll feed you. 55 verse 1 again, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters and you have no money. Come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend your life feeding on things that will never satisfy you, when you can have Me who will? I'll give you the sense of love and security and identity you need. The servant paid for all of that when he died for your sin. So you never have to consume yourself or other people to get it. You can have peace. And the Lord Jesus says exactly the same thing. John 6: Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Friend, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Do you feel like you're trying everything you can to give yourself a full life, but it's not working? Do you still feel empty? Well, you can be satisfied. You can find something that will finally fill you up. Because Jesus' acceptance is unconditional and it can satisfy you. Why go after money when it will just leave you craving more? Why go after success when no matter how much of it you get you'll still always feel mediocre and a fraud? What you need, what we all need is a peace that don't, that never depends on how well you perform and only on how well Jesus performs. And Jesus on the cross performed perfectly. How good is it to have peace with God? It's like a barren woman having children. It's like a cheating spouse being forgiven. It's like a starving person being fed. When you find peace with God, you find purpose and forgiveness and satisfaction. And that's something worth celebrating. So let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we do thank You that You give us peace, not just an end to war between us, but active, positive peace, our life finally fitting together with You and we pray, starting to fit together with others. Father, we thank You for that is just such good news. It gives us our purpose back in life, to see other people find the same peace and it gives us a clean conscience, knowing that our sins have been forgiven and it gives us satisfaction, it gives us a food that can actually nourish us, your acceptance, which never depends on our performance but only on Jesus's. Father, we pray that if we don't know that peace yet, help us to find it now, this morning and if not now, soon because Father, we are hungry and we need you and we ask these things in Jesus' name, Amen.